Thank you, Matt. We want to look this morning at that passage from Acts chapter 11, um, and we want to look especially at the church at Antioch, and I'll explain why Antioch is of interest for us here at Orange Park today. And I say that's because it's really our mother church, uh, because it's the mother of all Gentile churches. We, whether you like it or not, are a Gentile church. The first church ever is in Jerusalem, completely Jewish. For the first time ever, a non-Jewish church was established at Antioch, and it's like the mother of all mother churches. Uh, if it wasn't for Antioch, we wouldn't have Oran Park, if I can put it like that. And so I want to look at uh, this story of Antioch and see what it has to say for us. And uh, to do that, I'll lead us in prayer and ask God to help us understand his word. Gracious Lord, we pray now for us that you might, by your spirit, give clarity into what is said here so that we both be encouraged, stirred to action and keeping our eyes ever on the Lord Jesus. Help us, we pray now. Amen. A few years ago, I was uh, had the really sad task my mum, of clearing my mum and dad's house with my brother and sister. My mum and dad had reached the stage where their health had declined and they had moved into a sort of a retirement village set up and uh, they couldn't look after the packing up the house. So my brother and sister and I were sort of packing their lives up before their eyes at home, you know, where they say, where's all my good stuff going and we we're having to make decisions. They weren't great hoarders, but we did find a couple of wonderful gems. And the most glorious gem of all was a little pile of workbooks from my brother that he wrote in his creative writing class in first grade. Yeah, no, it was creative writing. And I want to a flavour for your enjoyment this morning, and my brother's not here to defend himself, of my brother's creative writing in first grade, okay? The first is getting to sibling relationships. And this is what he wrote. I like smells. Our car engine smells nice. But I don't like my sister's smell. <laughs> Insightful, thoughtful, why he goes from engine smelling nice to sister... Who knows? The next one was even better. The parcel was green and oblong. I think it is a bus. What, what was that all about? Why did I agree? Anyway, my brother was so good at writing he became a music teacher. <laughs> Our expectation normally in life is that you move on, you sort of develop and you grow and you graduate and life is full of graduations from first grade, you finish infant school, graduate to primary school, finish primary school, graduate to high school, and life is always like moving on, and that's what the whole education system is about. However, both church and the Christian life is never one sense about graduation. So when we say today you are a parish, it's not a graduation moment, it's a development, but as long as you graduate to something different. Each year, uh, whenever you have church, you'll always be coming back to the place you've always started. Uh, so this is your first public anniversary, first year public anniversary, but if you have your 10th year, it's not as if you're going to come to something substantially different, because the Christian message is always the same. There's a continuous return to where you started. And for Luke, the church in Antioch is a significant role model which we need to get our heads around. Antioch 
was a city of about half a million, about 500,000, so not an insignificant size, quite a cosmopolitan city by uh, Roman world standards, and uh, made up of mainly non-Christians, obviously a pagan city. We don't know how the church was started, most likely nameless, ordinary folk had come down, and I'll explain why in a moment, but it was here for the first time ever that something extraordinary started to unfold. As I said, Jerusalem was a Jewish-only church, but now, as this group of Christians got underway, Jews and Gentiles, a sort of very strange mix of culturally disparate groups, were starting to come together because they had the same risen Lord Jesus at their heart. And so cultural backgrounds could be disregarded and ethnic distinctives could be put aside. They came together as one people. And so that's why it's really our mother church. It's a Gentile church that breaks new grounds and we, by extension, are still part of that ongoing movement of God's spirit. The conclusion of uh, the story of 11.18 tells us where it's going to in in the story of Antioch. I'll read verse 18. And this is the story of Cornelius, the first convert who was non-Jew that Luke spends a lot of time on. And the story is they go up to Jerusalem, they tell the story of Peter coming to Cornelius' house and hearing what had happened to him, they say the Jerusalem heavyweights, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praising God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Even these Gentiles, these non-Jews, God has so graciously opened their eyes, received the Spirit of God, that they, like us, Know the Lord Jesus and they're one of us. There's no distinction. Uh, it was always God's intention that God would move out to what the Bible referred to as the nations, the non-Jews, but this is the moment where it's unfolding in a rapid way. What is of interest is it wasn't the apostles who actually took the initiative. Peter was the one who had his eyes open when he was called to Cornelius' house. But in practical terms, it was because these nameless, ordinary Christians have gone down and opened and started to speak. Uh, we hear about how it happened. If you go back to, if you have your Bibles, 8.1, and then we'll flip straight from 8.1 through to 11.19, and you'll see the connection. So what, at the end of chapter, beginning of chapter 8, we hear Saul giving approval to the first uh, martyr's death, Stephen, and then in the end of, uh, end of verse 1 we read, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. Okay? So Stephen died, great turmoil, the apostles stayed, but all the other ordinary Christians, they were scattered. They were having to be dispersed here, there and everywhere. Now go across to 11.19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen travelled as far as these places. So here's the consequence of the scattering. These people are going everywhere. And here's an interesting thought. They didn't seek permission to go down here and say, well, we haven't got our main leaders and we shouldn't really do anything because we don't know what to do. No, they know what is important. And without sort of a thank you or can I, they dropped the J-bomb. Jesus' name is suddenly on their lips. You know, on their tongue, open mouth, out it goes. And would you believe it? God blesses their boldness, their initiative, 
And before you know it, there are people coming to the name of the Lord Jesus at Antioch and being brought into a church gathering. They didn't see that they had to repeat what was done in Jerusalem. They were already working out whether they could sort of be different. Uh, even though they sort of thought it was Jews only, very quickly they worked out they could speak to others. And one of the groups they spoke to were the Greeks. <clears throat> um, why the Greeks are picked on, uh, I don't know. But in verse 20, some of them, however, went from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch, began to speak to Greeks, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. This is an extraordinary sort of step, a bold step. But God is in the initiative. Verse 21. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Behind the, This is one of the important things that we always have to say. From a human point of view, I can explain why we're here today. From a human point of view, I can explain what's happened with the folk at Antioch. But behind it all, always, is the hand of the Lord. The Lord's hand was with them. The Lord's hand was with them. He is the one who brings things about. And I want to say, on all honesty, even though I can look to Stuart down here and Caroline and Matt and I explain it all, I want to say we are here today only because the Lord's hand is in it. The Lord's hand's in this. So back at Antioch, these Greek pagans turned. They repented exactly the same way as everyone else has done. No difference. God was doing something startling, something wonderful, something large, something really, really significant. The untangling of why this took a while... But it was there finally happening. And I say, it's such an encouragement, isn't it? What is one of the great prayers you can still continue to pray for Oran Park now into the future? It's this little prayer. May the Lord's hand continue to be in all that we do. And we need to pray that, don't we? Otherwise, it is just a human undertaking. But one of the great encouragements that is here, when the Lord's in it, he blesses and brings extraordinary results. Anyway, the story continues at Antioch. It doesn't take long for the grapevine to kick into gear. Back in those days, they didn't have Twitter and Facebook accounts. They had to use a very old fashion of communication. People spoke to each other and passed on messages that way. You need to have someone explain how that works. Anyway, that's what they did. And before long, those, the big guys back in Jerusalem hear some strange rumours of things happening down in Antioch. They're looking on the big screen and saying, oh, there's an anomaly down in Sector C down there, we better go and check what's happening because it doesn't sound right. We, who control things, haven't allowed this to happen. Not quite. Verse 22. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. I love the expression, reached the ears. You know, something's wrong here. Uh, but they did something extraordinary. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw evidence of God's grace. I want to say, first of all, of all the men Jerusalem could have picked, one of the great heroes of the New Testament we don't talk much about is Barnabas. He's one of the great sons of encouragement. He comes down and he 
sees things in a wonderful, clear way. Uh, verse 23. When he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord, obviously through him. Well, first I want to say, Barnabas didn't come down like an older brother. I, you know what an older brother would be like at Oran Park? Today, oh, sorry, you excuse me. I come along, well, this can't be church. There's no pews here. This is not how I did church back when I was there. It doesn't come down as an older brother looking down with a sort of censorious attitude that I know how things should be done and I'm here to try and show and help you who, because you haven't had a chance. He doesn't arrive at Antioch. He shows no of his older brother tendencies at all. He simply saw something that really mattered to him. Evidence of God's grace. And that was enough. There was no sense where he says to the folk, well, this is not how we do it back in Jerusalem, you know. Back where I come from, you had a killer. Need to get your act in line. The evidence of God's grace is enough to say something is happening here which I want to encourage and endorse. You might ask, well, what's this evidence of God's grace he actually saw? Well, first, two, there was genuine preaching. Clearly, God was blessing this because people were speaking truthfully to each other through the message of Jesus Christ. And he saw and he heard this message was true and then the very fact that people would be converted as he would expect as a consequence was enough for him to say that God's grace is at work here. What is significant here, and this is really significant for us at Oran Park, is that what always forms the church is the message of Jesus Christ, or as we summarise the gospel. Again, from a human point of view, I can say, well, we got land here, uh, we had to find the right person here and we have all our money coming in and we're going to provide help to build this church. I want to say the only reason we have a church here is because the gospel has formed the church. That's what happened to Antioch. It always happens everywhere. The reason we have the church here is because the gospel needs to take hold in the lives of the people around this area and with the lives taken hold by the message of the Lord Jesus, he draws people together and a church is formed. He cannot define the church any other way. So at Antioch, there's no sense, I'm glad you've come to know the Jesus, but let me explain how other things should be. He says, you've started with Jesus, continue to stay there with Jesus, continue to grow in Jesus, there's no moving on. So he exhorts them to stay where they started. And that's why I understand one of the values at Oran Park is that you'll be a Jesus-centred church. Don't take that for granted. If you're not a Jesus-centred church, you're not going to be a gospel church, you're not going to be a true church. And this is what Barnabas endorses at Antioch. He encourages them to stay there, be a Jesus church. And the quality they saw in him is extraordinary, isn't it? I love this description. Wonderful way to think of how you describe any person, man or female, male or female. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit of faith. Isn't that a wonderful description? A good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. 
Uh, I love it because it means he didn't come down and say, whoa, blow us away, you know, look at his gifts, it was extraordinary. No, they just saw his qualities of character. They saw his earnestness of spiritual life. And that's what they really loved about this man. No sort of bells and whistles and stuff like that, just an ordinary guy who demonstrated God and grace and God blessed him in that. But it was also obvious to him that he needed some help. He couldn't do what was happening at Antioch by his own. And he, one of the great significant milestones in the whole unfolding of church life happens. He decides he has to go and get a man called Saul. Verse 25 to 26. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called, called Christians first time at Antioch. <clears throat> That's all right. So here all the disparate threads are going to come together in two very significant men. We have Barnabas. We're not told exactly what made Barnabas think Saul's this guy, but the fact that he brings Saul here comes together in a seamless moment which will have significant impact because from Antioch, we won't get there today obviously, they'll send them out on what was called missionary journeys. And here Saul and Barnabas do a sort of a, a serious 12-month internship together which will read of themselves for the missionary endeavour where they go around the Roman Empire and the gospel message goes everywhere. And so Saul comes on the scene. The main task that they have when Saul comes along is the task of teaching, teaching the Bible in partnership. Uh, you might say, well, what's the significance of teaching the Bible? Well, if the evidence of God's grace is they stay with Jesus, how do you stay with Jesus over the long haul? You've got to keep on teaching the Bible. So for 12 months, they called the church together, taught them, taught them, taught them. Um, that's why whenever we have a good church, you'll have the Bible being taught as its heart. Without the Bible being taught, you can't keep Jesus at the centre and they both go seamlessly together. They wanted the roots of their Christian faith taken down. Yes, they don't move on, but they can grow in depth. The more you grow in depth, the more you have understanding the Bible, the more you understand the significance of Jesus, the more stable your roots, and the more as you're blown by all the sorts of things that come our way, individually as a church, the more rooted you are in what will keep you going. And more than that, the significance of having Jesus at the centre and the Bible at his heart is making sure the church is always a movement. Uh, we are in the habit of establishing what are called monuments, which are fixed entities that just sit there. But if Oral Park is going to be what I pray to God it will be, it won't be a monument to success, it will be a movement that seeks to have Jesus go everywhere. For in the end, I want to be honest, it's not just Oran Park. Do you know? Uh, I'm sure Stu would have said this. On your doorsteps over the next 20 years, and I've seen the plans, there's literally hundreds of thousands of new people going to come into this area. 
you are placed, you are positioned to help that movement of the gospel continue to go out. It's not here just simply create a monument to yourselves. We have a church building, thank praise be God, but where you are is simply a mechanism to keep the movement, which should be at your heart, going. So you stay with the business of Jesus by sticking with the business of the Bible. Now, Stuart has expressed all this. I understand. I can be corrected here, but if I am I saying something that you can, I just say, I'm going to repeat this statement and see if you've heard it. This is what I've been told. Oliver Park is a Jesus-centered Bible-believing church. Has that been heard by anyone? Please say yes. I'll get my uh, refund on the way out. I've also been told the vision statement reads something like this. Longing Oran Park longs to see new life in Jesus come to every home in Oran Park and the growing southwest for the salvation and good of the community and the glory of God. I like that. For the salvation and good of the community and the glory of God. One of the things that is interesting, uh, which I'm experiencing more and more, is there's not an uh, inherent ability of people to see what good churches bring to the life of the, any community. Uh, there is a, a modern tendency to see churches as almost a, de- a, dist- a detraction from community rather than a benefit or a blessing. Uh, I was at a church last night that tried to start in the, uh, another part of Sydney and local government made it very difficult for them to do anything and didn't encourage it at all. And it was all to do with, well, if you're here, people are going to find it difficult to live their lives normally. Now, it's interesting how things have changed. Uh, we are thankful to God that the developers here gave us the ability to have a church at the Tart. But we do want to say uh, your lives together is not just for your lives together. There is a sense where your lives together has significant impacts in many ways wider afield. And that's in a sense, it is good for the community here. Now I'll get this in a very odd way. There was a, uh, a research done by an American sociologist over the last 14 years looking at the missionary movement over the last 300 years all around the world. And he's interested to see where missionaries went and seeing the impact upon the societies where they went to. Like, and one of the things that you might have grown up with expectation, which you would have heard, oh, whenever Christians go, they mess things up and take away from the lives of those who were there originally. So he wasn't just looking at the individuals, looking more at the impact of the whole of society. And he was trying to work out, well, Jesus-centred, Bible-believing Christians, did it do any positive good? Now, what he found was a huge surprise uh, to many and is having repercussions in the wider academic community because what he saw was there was a positive and noticeable good that the Christians brought to wherever they went. Transformation of society was significant. So I want to read out a summary of all this. Areas where Protestant missionaries went, that is, Bible-believing, Jesus-centred Christians, areas where Protestant missionaries had a significant presence in the past, on average, 
more economically developed today with comparatively better health, lower infant mortality, lower corruption, greater literacy, higher educational attainment, especially for women, and more robust membership in non-governmental organisations. If I was to be honest, I would say Australia today is always living off the heritage of its Christian past in the way we function as a society. And I would say the church is at the heart of that. And the fruit of the work of the fruit of good works in the lives of ordinary Christians also has a tremendous impact. Can I um, think about it this way? If you, as an ordinary Christian, show kindness, thoughtfulness, a lack of response in anger and revenge in the way you deal with people, that little light and moment of salt in the community has tremendous impact. You don't repeat patterns. So when a church focuses on its efforts on converting folk and have an active commitment to seeing others brought to that and long to see others benefit from the Lord Jesus, two results always accrue. One, they're rescued by God and find salvation, that's individually, but also their lives are transformed and their lives flourish and that is never self-contained. And this is really important because one of the things that we have an expectation of is that our religious faith is a very private matter. Keep it to yourself. I want to say, no one's faith is private. It's always on public display. Wherever you go, you show by the way you relate and deal with people what your faith is. You can't hide it under a bushel. One of the things I will say, though, is that it's worth reflecting that in Oran Park and other places we need to be more demonstrative as a group about who we are and not be afraid about that. But more than that, it's never just a private matter. We're not just a private thing. We are always public on display. We don't have private gatherings, we have public gatherings. And because it's public, we always want to say to the community, come and enjoy life with us know the Lord Jesus and flourish in a life with him. So we come to this day at Oran Park. As I said before, it's not, in one sense it is uh, L plate. Is it green peas first, red peas? Which was it, red or green? What's the order? See, I've, I've got older children. I, I remember this stage, but I've gone way beyond it now. But I say, uh, ultimately, all that's irrelevant, but we are saying this is the day we are saying to you, you've grown up, take responsibility, look at this area and under God, pray earnestly for the Lord's hand to be at work and see God transform the lives of many folk individually. And then in transforming the lives of many folk individually, you will do more good for this area than anything you could ever imagine. Anything you could ever imagine. Full of grace, hope and love, God's people always do good. So, today is a significant day. Your mother church is Antioch, but you're here because of the Lord Jesus.
I pray that in 12 months' time, if it so happens, we can come back and we can have a very similar message because there'll be no graduation in 12 months' time. We come back to where we were today. I pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your grace that does come through Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the work you've done in the lives of those who are here. May your word strengthen their faith and we pray for this church that indeed it would do great good for this community and that many would be one to the Lord Jesus and know the salvation he brings and the flourishing of life he offers. Help us to have confidence in your word and confidence that would use us now and always. Amen.